You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. Do you sing your children to sleep? Every night, there are between four to six songs that I need to sing to my five-year-old before she'll go to sleep. She makes me name each of them, and guaranteed by the time I'm at the end of them all, she's asleep. When she was a baby, I admit, I used to sing to calm me more than her or settle her. It didn't seem to work then, but I do love doing it. It makes me feel like I have some control over her sleep, but also it makes me feel really connected and it's a really beautiful time of the day. It also reminds me of all the lovely, safe and warm feelings I had when I was small and my mother sang to me. I still sing some of the same songs my mum sang to me. Dr. Anita Collins is an educator, academic and researcher in the area of music education and cognitive development. And I thought I'd see if she has any understanding of why we sing lullabies. Hi, Anita. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Pleasure. Is there any science to back up my feeling that singing to my daughter or my son connects us? Um, there's a huge amount of science and and it's it's an area that's actually um, just absolutely exploding with this new uh, technology trying to understand what it is that we all seem to know intuitively as parents that we sing to our children, that we we connect with them through the act of singing and they sing to us too and, and that makes us feel really, really wonderful. So there's a lot of scientists around the world who are trying to figure out exactly what it is about singing and about music and about that connection that we have. That's actually what's happening in the baby's brain and also in the parent's brain. And I'm wondering as well, part of it is I feel like it won't work properly unless I'm somehow touching them physically because it feels like Mm. the vibrations of my voice, particularly through my chest, feels like it's soothing them more. Is that musical as well or is that about touch? Um, I actually think it's about this sensory connection. We tended to have sort of divided our senses up. We think about, you know, our sight takes in this information or our ears take in this information. But what they're starting to understand is that it's actually about how the senses are talking to each other, which gives us this overall experience. So the touching and the, and the, the feel of the need to touch is very much the transmitting of of the song in a different way um, and that's why we have that great connection and you can see it with, with parents with very young babies is they can't stop kissing their head and they can't stop patting them and they can't stop <laughs> connecting with them in a very physical way which is also usually very connected with an auditory way or a verbal way. We're saying things, we're talking, we're making sounds, it's connecting to the baby but also um, heightening their sensory awareness, which is really what babies are. They're a big sensory bubble um, at the start and they're taking in as much information as they can. So it is, it's very natural to do both of those things. And I can't remember where I heard it, but um, talking to babies, of course, is really important. And I remember someone saying to me when I was young, look, it doesn't really matter what you say to your babies, mm. just that you're talking to them. I'd have to say that it must be the same with lullabies, right? Because some lullabies, if you look around the world, they can be really dark. Even Rockabye mm. Baby is like, wow, mm. you know. <laughs> it's talking about a baby crashing down from the cradle. So is it yeah. more about song and melody? Is there anything behind particular kinds of melodies that work for young children? It kind of 
spins it around. It's, it's, if we think of the fact that a baby doesn't understand the meaning behind the words that we say, no matter where, what country they come from, no matter what language you're speaking, what they are interpreting is the fundamental basis of that language, which is actually melody and rhythm. So they're hearing how fast the words are moving and in what combination they are moving. Um, and then they're also hearing the melody. And from the melody or combination of melody and rhythm, they're... Um, getting meaning, whether it be emotional meaning, actual cognitive meaning, they're gaining all those things from there. So it is absolutely right. It doesn't matter what you do or what you say, which is that famous, famous scene in um, Three Men and a Baby where I think he's reading a boxing magazine or something. And, <laughs> and he says, it doesn't matter what you say. And it's very true. It's about the rhythm and the melody which you use to say it. Um, and there's some fabulous research which looks at the emotional content in our voices when we speak to babies. And it's about... 80% of it is all about the emotional content. We, we have much higher sounds, much lower sounds. They change a lot more. We're trying to, to tell them something through how we're using our voice. And then when we become adults, it becomes less and less and less and less. And you can hear it. When someone speaks to someone on the phone that they're very familiar with, it's a very different tone. It doesn't matter what they say, but you know they're talking to someone who are, they are very close to, who they share a lot of time with, versus when you meet a new person and someone's very mm. enthusiastic and welcoming, welcoming. So there's so much musical information that is underlying our speech. And another thing that I'm curious about is um, my kids both had a music teacher that went into their daycare centres and I interviewed her for a story about the kind of music that she sings to the kids and she mentioned that she was surprised how intrigued the children were about songs in minor keys and she mm. sings this one particular song down at Bulai Bay, I think it is, or there's something mm. like that. Anyway, it's all in minor keys and I mean, I'm not a very good singer, but it, when you sing it, it is in minor. And for some reason, no matter what I sing at that song, my son will always fall asleep. Is there anything in different keys and their influence on the brain? Yes, there is. And there's a really big question within the, the research, uh, both across sort of neuroscientists as well as music educators and music education philosophers about if music is cultural, if you have to be part of the culture in, in order to truly understand it, or if there are some universal aspects to music. And what they've done is they've found that it's actually both. There are universal things, minor key things sung in a minor key. It doesn't matter if you speak the language, babies will react the same way and they actually find it calming. As adults, we kind of overlay meaning onto that meaning to be scared or frightened or sad. But babies just find it as, as a calming sort of thing because it tends to also come along with it's a slower lullaby, um, it's a lullaby with a lot more repetition in it and the intervals between the notes tend to be smaller. So it's just basically a more calming piece of music. A happy piece of music is in a major key, larger interval leaps and usually is a little bit faster and a bit more upbeat. So babies go, oh, that's lots of information. I'm meant to be moving awake. around, <laughs> away. Exactly. So it's... It's kind of, we have to sort of think about how we interpret it as grown-ups and then how it actually is interpreted quite differently from a baby. And, and we develop meaning in music as we experience more music. So the reason often my babies are intrigued by minor key things is most of our lullabies are major. And in a major key, they're happy. So minor is a variation. Minor is something interesting. Minor is new information. So they really like it and they find it fascinating. And also... 
I I don't know if everyone has this experience, but I know that when my mum sang lullabies to me, my memory is there was a certain tone that I have I have never heard anywhere else except for when she sang mm. to me at night when the room was dark. It was a very soft. Um, even I don't know if she carried a tune well or not, but it was a, a soft, almost not whispered, but not loud. And I sing mm. the same way to my children. I imagine a lot of parents have a hushed voice when they sing because mm. you're trying not to be, you know, you're trying to calm them down. Um, is there anything in that sort of idea of having a softer, quieter music? Well, if we think about when we use softer and quieter speech, and a lot of the time it's in a very intimate way, it's with someone that we know very well, it's with someone, it's it's a very personal part of being a human being. And really all we're doing with the softer, quieter, more enclosed speech is, is being intimate with another human being. And that that is, I think, why it is, I know that bubble that you mean, it was the three o'clock in the morning bubble when I was, you know, feeding my <laughs> baby and, and there's no one around and, you know, you can hear there's very few sounds outside and that's that closeness and that bubble that you're inside and the voice, it's kind of like singing or the voice connects the two of you inside that bubble. Mm. And babies are fascinated by it and it's and it's the first sound they know. Their parents, their parents' voices are the first ones that they really identify with even before they're born. Um, and it's, it's just like the most comfortable thing they know because it's the thing they've known the longest. So there's, there's kind of... Um, there is so much explanation now for what we do naturally, for what we we just feel that we do as a normal sort of thing, and we're actually starting to understand why it's natural and also how it's there as a mechanism to help children bond with their parents but also to learn as much through their ears as they possibly can. And look, finally... Um is there anything about music that allows us all to sleep more easily? Because we have mm-hmm. a nighttime program here at Kindling called Sleepy Soundtracks that our music coordinator basically schedules all of the ambient music. She's a DJ, mm-hmm. so some of it's really cool. Some of it's like lullabies for babies. And I have heard that parents love it not just for their kids, but they also like it themselves. I mean, is there something from birth to whatever age where music can help us sleep? Um, that's a very, very complex question. <laughs> it's a very complex thing. There, generally, yes, there's sort of, there's, there's the filling of the space. And if you think about it, when we fill the space a lot of the time with another sound, a lot of the time it quietens our own inner voice. We've always got a voice going. We've always got a little chatter happening. Um, and babies have exactly the same thing. They have sounds going and they understand what their sounds mean and going inside the head. So music kind of overtakes that and, and in some cases may allow the auditory system to be quiet or quietened and there's less sort of what's called neural noise um, and they, that induces sort of sleep. For some people, particularly musically trained people, it's exactly the opposite. For me as a musically trained person, I, um, if I hear music, that actually wakes up my, my brain. It goes, oh, let's listen to this, what's happening here, what's happening here. I cannot sleep because it's actually gone into analysis phase, an interest phase. But that's because that's my area of expertise. And a lot of musicians would say exactly the same thing. For me, to go to sleep, I am much better if I've, say, got an audio book going with a, with a really calming voice that's telling a story. I can go to sleep to that, but I can't go to sleep to music. So I think it's very personal preference, and I think it's influenced by a lot of the experiences that we have in our life. And do you think in that context, just to go back to the start of your answer there, is there something 
when they're babies and they haven't had that interaction yet or they haven't had that mm. development, is there something in music that can help babies? Yes, absolutely. Well, it's basically, if we think of um, babies actually understand speech as music at birth, which is one of the biggest revelations in, in the field is to say kids aren't using their language centre to understand when someone's speaking to them. They're actually using their music processing network. So they hear everything as if it is music. And then they start to separate that out into speech and every other noise, music of which would be part of that. So very much at the start, it's just sound information. It's just auditory information and they're just collecting and getting interested and being calmed by and adding to their library. So that's why music often in, in many, many early childhood settings when the babies are having their naps, um, they will have music going in the background. What's most interesting is for some kids that doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Some of the time it's because it's a very easy way to identify that their auditory processing system is working a little bit differently and that maybe they need silence or maybe they need speech or maybe they need some other rhythmic sound that will actually lull them to sleep. So our auditory processing network is our music brain, really, and music can be used in all sorts of different ways, but it's about watching the reaction of the child and how it helps them and how it hinders them and, and you know, trying different kinds of music. My child didn't sleep to, say, some Debussy or some Chopin or something beautiful like that, but you put on some hilltop hoods and she's great to sleep. <laughs> so for her, it was a really, really heavy beat where she just went, oh, I can go to sleep now. <laughs> That's awesome. Anita, thank you so much for your time today. No problem. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible, and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.